0: Hello and welcome to You and You, the podcast that you listen to. And I really suggest that you listen to today's episode because we have the boss himself. Yes, we are having Bartel van de Waal, the director of United Nations University. And if you are joining us for the first time, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Leopoldo and I'm the student ambassador of the MPP of University of Maastricht and United Nations University. And my mission is to bring you insights into what is the experience of doing this program. Having said that, I believe that our guest needs no further introduction, so here's my conversation with Bartel, and I really hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you for receiving me in your office. First, I would like to know a bit about your background. I know you have been profiled in several other places, but it will be good for the people who... It's just getting to know you. You were born and raised around here, like in, in Belgium, right? Yeah.
1: Brug- Bruges.
0: Yeah, Bruges. Bruges. Yeah, so
1: that's not around here, actually. Um, you, you may already have noticed that there is a bit of a cultural um, difference between Belgium and the Netherlands. Historically, of course, there are, there are many reasons for that, and, and, and there's a long history. So when I was born in Bruges, that's... Um, A small town actually near the North Sea and the province of of West Flanders, so it's in the western side of the country, um, which has a tremendous history as a a town. It used to be one of the first um, towns that developed into real trader places, so there was a a lot of markets going on. Uh, Actually the, the concept of a stock exchange was mm-hmm. first invented there. The very first stock exchange in the Lowlands here was in Bruges. Um, yes. So, so there was always um, there was a lot going on. There was a very active city, but at that time in the Middle Ages, it was at the sea. And of course, with changes in the in the in the climate and in in, in the geography, uh, that that slowly got further and further removed from the coast. So, so by the time that I was born there, a couple of hundred years later, <laughs> later, um, the the town was already. You know, mainly a tourist town with a lot of great, you know, um, relics and buildings and, and culture, but, but very, very much um, a, a town where as a kid and as a teenager you potentially could get bored uh, because there was not much to do for young people. And, and so we went out to uh, other places, Ostend, which, which is you know, still today at the, at the coast, it's a coastal city, and had a direct ferry connection with the UK. Hmm. So, a lot of Brits came over to a party in Ostend, and um, we also got you know, very um, early um, information on, on new music styles, like punk mm-hmm. reached Belgium through Ostend or you know mm-hmm. all these so it was a bit of a gateway to uh, to Europe for the British uh, people and, and for us to British music
0: oh yeah. you, you had a pass of punk rock as well. no
1: no I was just just I missed that uh, I still remember as a kid seeing the punks with their big uh, hairstyles you yes, know the yeah. um and m- you studied in I studied in Ghent in so that's Ghent. that's then sort of the next town a bit more inland uh university town yes um and I studied there um, Mathematics. Mathematics. Right? Uh, you wanted
0: to be an academic. Um, that was always yeah, easy.
1: very early on, I thought that would be something that I would like to do. Of course, you know, it was a sort of a vague idea. You know, it was not co- a concrete plan or anything. So the way it turned out was probably I could not have predicted that at the time that I said that I wanted to be. You know, I, I wanted to do research that that interested me always. Um, an academic life. What did I know from it, right? I, I, I you know, we had some uh, cartoon stories for kids. You know, this these, um, yeah. Belgium is very known actually for its cartoons, and and there is always this stereotypical professor, you know, with the uh, the long hair, the beard, always confused, and and so that appealed to me somehow because I was sometimes <laughs> yeah.
0: confused, I guess. Um, yes, but, but, but part of knowing things is being confused at first. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. and then. Um, even though you started with this uh, academic drive, you ended up in a management position. And <laughs> life can be cruel. <laughs> life can be cruel. How did you manage to go through all that um, path? Let's say uh, I know it's a big question. Mm. I know you also worked some time in the U.S., so you have also mm. the perspective on both systems so maybe you can also illustrate how you brought information from that experience to your mm. actual mm. role.
1: Yeah I think it's it's sort of an evolutionary path and and of course in the in the first stage of, of a career in an academic career for sure you, you try to be very focused on your research. So you, you, you develop yourself as a researcher you so you, you search for your niche in the academic, you know, big areas um, that we have, and and you do this by writing a PhD. So you're actually very specialized. You're one of the few people in the world, typically, that knows a lot about a specific topic. So you have found your you know, dream topic. Maybe it's not your dream topic, but a topic that you specialize in. And and that's that's how you try to position yourself in this broad academic field. There's a lot of things to do. You could you could, you can do PhDs in a lot of different topics, but you you know first you you have to find your own topic and and then and then it, it only begins uh, once you have your phd um, there there are questions about you know, the question is then what, what's next right and and you start uh, or you look for postdocs, postdoc you know post, uh, doc positions uh, you hope that that will lead to a tenure track position and then when once you are on a tenure track, you hope that you'll become an, an, an associate professor and once you're an associate professor, you say, okay, now I want to go for the full professor yeah. position. So, so it's a very evolutionary track and, and, and gradually as you, you grow um, in experiences and, and, and also more exposed to the breadth of... of of being an academic citizen, huh? because an academic is not just doing research; it's of course also, for instance, teaching. Yeah. Um. It's 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 um trying to to have impact with what you do. So so there's a whole range of things that you do as an academic. These these days, for sure, and that that actually has always been, in my view, we, we've neglected that a little bit and become very focused on our research output. But our our societal relevance is is of course has always been. Uh, necessary. Uh, yes. Society funds universities and people like me to also be of benefit to society. That's, uh, that's uh, at least my understanding. So, so, but coming back to your question, uh, how the hell did I end up in a management role? Um, I, I think at some point, I, I at least, reached a, a stage in my career where I thought, okay, I, I have seen and done um, a variety of things, I've enjoyed that very much, maybe now is the time to transfer that to the next generation, you know, so, so what have I learned? Yeah. Uh, what would I love to show and, and tell and, and carry over to, to younger people who started their career? You know, what mistakes would I tell them to avoid? Um, mm. Because, you know, of course, you make mistakes in a career. Or what, what passion do I think <laughs> should be there and, and if you want an academic career? Because it's an non-obvious choice obviously and in, yeah. an academic career is very weird right it's very few people who do it once you do it you're, you're very you know in, in a very sort of uh, specific universe that you operate in so why would you do in a uh, so you, to... you
0: were not really fulfilled with only being in that space right that's what you're trying to do. yeah
1: fulfilled for sure i didn't know um I, I not that but i was also ready at that point to look for Carrying over what I had learned. And and but I was not done yet. I, I before I started here at UNU Merit, I was actually um, still doing quite a lot of research on humanitarian operations, which is what I did yeah. for a number of years. Uh, I had a lab, um, not a huge lab, but a small lab, humanitarian technology lab. And and I had lots of projects to work on, European yeah. projects, other projects. So
0: this is curious for me mm-hmm. because we you talk about specificity, like in academics it's pretty normal that persons get very, like you said, specialized in one area of knowledge. Yeah. Actually when we students try to start to write our own papers at the mm-hmm. beginning, we try to solve like big problems. Yeah. And most of the time <laughs> professor says to us, you should focus on this subset of questions, yeah. you know? Uh, but there, there is always a tension there. For example, my question in regards to the United States and maybe Europe or other systems mm-hmm. has to do with this different focus on education. Like mm-hmm. liberal arts education maybe prepares you to yeah. know nothing specific. But then a master program is mm. probably more focused. But I don't know what is the correct balance within these two approaches. What do you mm. think would be... There? The optimal yeah
1: um that's a good question and and it's it's a bit of question the, the the distinction between being more of a generalist right and 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 that's how how scientists used to be right you remember all these great names that we remember from the past uh, galileo um you name them they, they were we call them today um homo universalis that means you know they had universal look at science yeah and 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 we have divided that up in faculties in universities. It's of course that came with the whole, you know, industrialization era. Era, yeah, we had to be specialized, and then it's like, you know, it's like a machine or a factory. Yeah. Um. And, and we forgot that that or, or that that disappeared, that we also wanted to have that that overall broad look at things. So so mm-hmm. and and that has become very extreme. You know, if if you now do a PhD. You're extremely specialized, yeah. but extremely. Yeah. So, so we have become narrower and narrower and narrower. And, and that is a system that has developed, has been rewarded. Do you think um, that's good? Um, not so sure. Um, I, I, I think we, 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 we want to advance science, right? Our, our scientific understanding. And, and of course, we need to get very deep into specific problems. We, we need the depth. But I consider it a loss that we forget to pay attention to the width of, of research. So, so, and in my view, PhD should also learn or, or, or have maybe some training in, in a broader scientific view. Like, you know, what is scientific research? How, you know, philosophers like, like Popper and, and, and on the Scientific Inquiry, you know, you can, you can do a lot of generic understanding of, of that, or you can gain a lot of generic understanding on that, uh, which could benefit the other thing that you're doing, you're in-depth. So I'm, I'm missing that a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question. I think there's only so much we can really understand about the sure. world, even when we are dealing with specific methods of data science. Uh, yeah. There's always ways to disguise yeah. things you want to say. But going th- uh, from this specific to general things, um, I want to talk about your passions a bit. You really like astronomy, right? <laughs> that's a curious thing. Of course, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And you wanted to study that. Yeah, yeah. Do you find time still for doing those things? <sighs>
1: Unfortunately, uh, no, I'm not really. Um, no, I, I, I was very passionate about astronomy. I... Started my first astronomy club as when I was 14 years old. So um, I I lived in a small town, a small village, actually Um, And I gathered a couple of friends and 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 I I told them about the stars I was reading books about stars and and space like probably many kids do Um, but then I wanted to organize a club so that we could watch the stars together and, and yeah. we had, we built a telescope, I actually built my own telescope at the time. Um, for those who know anything about telescope, it was a Newton telescope, uh, I think 11 and a half centimeters, yeah. so for those who know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. So um, we we, um, we then organized regular observation camps, so in winter, in summer, we, we, we watched uh, shooting stars, so there are meteor swarms that come back regularly every year and we observed them and we kept track of how many meteors did we see at night and and we drew drew maps on the night uh, of of the sky and um, i then later on studied mathematics as uh, we said but i was specialized in astronomy that was my specialization that is very curious Uh, are
0: you an astrology guy not
1: astrology that might be a good question astronomy right i know i know but are you a believer in, in what?
0: Astrology? No, not at all. No, no, no. no. no, no. This line... <laughs> <the> <laughs> Where are you going to? <laughs> this line of question is related to the fact that I was thinking about uh, the role that we put in emotions when it relates to reason, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes here we learn a lot of hard methods, but mm-hmm. then again we have this dimension of knowledge that cannot be really explained. Okay. And... Okay. How do you think emotions play our, our role in knowledge?
1: Yeah, but there's actually a lot of research on emotions in decision-making, for instance, and yes. how people actually do decide. And, and of course, there's the very, um, and I will now say something that may hurt some of my friends from e- economics, but, but we, we model people as rational decision-makers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we, we think there, when they see the utility, they see, oh, this is more than that, so I choose that. Yeah. We know that this is uh, not the case. So humans are complex um, beings. We are you know, very often driven by emotions and feelings um, that influence our decision making a lot. So we, we cannot be reduced to fully rational decision makers, however much that would be convenient for all the models that we have. So a lot of research has looked into that. And, and still today, huh, there's, there's uh, labs also here at the University of Maastricht that look at behavioral decision-making. You know, what is our actual behavior? Yeah. As um, I told you, I was doing my, my uh, PhD in mathematics later on, and, and I was looking into a, a thing that was called preferences and, and preference structures, so mathematical structure, yeah. um, which had nice properties. And I could prove a lot of things with that, and that was actually my PhD. So, um, after that, I wanted to see how people now actually do express their preferences, what their preferences are. Mm -hmm. That was a mess. I can imagine, yeah. (laughs) So, I I had to really start um, um, looking at this thing very differently and and see how people actually, you know, based on their preferences, which are hard to elicit, as we call that, Um, and there are preference elicitation techniques, but still you know there's a lot of uh, un- research still going on on that uh, which which makes it fascinating you know why you know we are human uh, we have we have a relationship here even during this interview right mm-hmm. we we look at each other we see the, 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 the subtle body language or 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 you know by the fact that we're in this context we make different cons- or we have different considerations than if in another context and it happens that this context is so important for the way we make decisions. So, yeah. so I looked a lot at when people are in in um, situations where there's a, a lot of time pressure, when the stakes are high, you know, like in humanitarian disasters. I try to understand how people make decisions there, mm. and that's very different from, say, you know, the rational Homo economicus model that that is leading in, in mm-hmm. economics today. You know, that's still yeah. as as if we are all rational, but of course we're not. Um, That's very
0: interesting. We, we can go through that uh, mm. again a bit later, but I want to ask you some specific questions in relation mm. to this uh, institution. Um, mm-hmm. You assumed the directorship on September the 1st, mm. 2020, during yes. COVID. I, Absolutely. I read in an interview in that time that your priority then was to get to know the people inside of mm-hmm. this institution and to set a course for the future, and I quote, to decide what is what we want to continue to do and what next things we want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, time has passed and I was wondering, have you answered this question to yourself? What are the things that now you decided should be kept and what are the things that Mm -hmm. ought to be done?
1: Um, you know we, we first try to identify why are we um, who we are and what are we successful in and we're successful in a number of things we are successful in, in in great research you know, whether that's now on the um, economics of innovation or, or certain governance questions or social protection or migration you know we have star topics at the Institute so that is what we want to continue um, things that we wanted to change was Primarily one thing, um, when I started here, I found two groups within the Institute that didn't interact optimally. And, I'm, and that's a diplomatic uh, expression, actually. Um, so we had uh, the, the Graduate School of Governance on the one hand, the Merit Institute on the other hand. Both great groups, but there was very little interaction between the two. So that is something that, I, and not just me, but that, that everybody here actually wanted to change. Mm-hmm. So how can we, you know, get together more? How we, can we get to know each other? Um, and, and that was clearly that this is something that that had to change. And um, I think looking back now, um, I'm, I'm very happy to see that these interactions are, are there. We introduced a couple of uh, initiatives for facilitating that, the comprehensive innovation teams, so which are composed of people from both groups. Um, so, so that is definitely a, a big thing that we wanted to change.
0: Perfect. Now, you talk to me about uh, the staff and how you organized. I would like to know what is the role that you see for students in mm. this university. What is the place you imagine for us contributing to this mission? Um, students are,
1: I think, essential for us. Uh, we have... Um, um if, if we talk about students we, we often talk uh, you know about master students right but also about phd students mm-hmm. uh, so so I, I wouldn't call them phd students phd candidates but both of these groups are essential and 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 let me explain why i think that is so important um first of all y- you are the future right um if you look at me you see here a slightly uh, aging older man who um, I said slightly, don't, don't laugh now Diego um, and, and so we, 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 we have to make sure that, and that's our, our goal here in this institute, we train you well in the disciplines that we're talking about here, yeah. so we, we give you the knowledge and the expertise so that you can develop into a really valuable contributor to, to, to society that's what we give you, or try to give you I, what you give us is, well, first of all, as, as you said, uh, with the example of, of the thesis topic, uh, it, it's it's very nice to see that you think about the big questions very often. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I want to solve the world's problem in my thesis. And yes, we then have to come back to you and say, oh, wait, maybe focus a little bit on that first. Yeah. But the fact that you are pushing us to think of these big questions that you want to answer or, or solve, you know, the big issues that that's... Tremendously valuable to me, so so you keep us sharp. You keep us as students. You keep us uh, asking us the right questions. If if I see who is now pushing the agenda of, of climate change, um, but also poverty reduction, or, or you name it, that's very often young people, because you see the world that you you will have to live in that world. You know quite a bit longer than than, than I will still have to do. So it's your world that is opening up. So how yeah. can we um, help you? But also help us push, you know, the, the, the items that are on on your agenda, the big challenges, okay. and, and 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 I think without youth in general, you know, we would not discuss as, as much certain things like climate change. Also, I'm yeah. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, probably um, not. Probably not. And, and of course you bring to us a variety of backgrounds. You're very multi uh, international, very m- multiple disciplines. Which creates its challenges huh? because we, we 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 sometimes struggle with bringing you know the right, program ingredients to all of you. Yeah? Some of you need more quantitative skills. Mm-hmm. Others need you more qualitative skills. So yeah. um, it it's 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 a struggle on the one hand, but it's also very enriching because yeah. it keeps
0: pushing us to ask um, more questions. I mean that that's probably uh, a good advantage of the many specializations that the program has. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very interesting, we can talk in another time, but I'm um, concerned about online education. Mm -hmm. Students for the most part don't like it, Mm -hmm. I believe, and yet it seems to a certain degree unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And also, it is true that we will need to learn to live with this virus for a long while. Mm -hmm. How do you see the institution balancing all these interests?
1: Well, first of all, I um, I fully understand that 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 the the, the life interaction face to face in person presence you know, with us, but also among yourselves is 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 very important, right? I, I, I fully see that, and um, I, I have you know, not known anything else when I was a student, so that was part of student life as it was at the time. Um, sometimes conditions are such that that is not possible to guarantee right? and it's not possible because of this uh, pandemic that's going on which uh, creates health risks uh, so, so we have to adapt. The question is of course in, in, in how far does that adaptation need to go and the challenge is how can you preserve as much as possible this interaction that you want in person among friends or other uh, all, all students um, without um, Losing the opportunity to also enrich that with what technology can offer, uh, Mm -hmm. online. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are certain things to consider and I don't have the answer here yet uh, for this and probably never will have, but some of the lines that we're thinking along are the following. Um, Why could we not organize our education in a way that um, we ensure uh, this, this presence, this face to face, this interaction on site, while also offering opportunities to take some things uh, online, some elements online. Um, one of the. Okay, but, but it's it's a very, <laughs> maybe a very uh, fundamental discussion here in a way. But as, as you and you merit, of course, we, we, we want to educate young people like like you and and and, and other students here with the great how to address the the great problems of of this planet. And they go it's about climate, it's about um, sustainability, it's about poverty, it's about migration, social protection are the big things that are reflected in in, in also in in the specializations. Now somehow um, the current model is that we have 140 students here who come from all over the world into Maastricht and enjoy this education here together. And I know that's valuable. But imagine for a second that we could use online education to also attract those students who simply cannot afford to come here. Hmm. You know, for a number of reasons. Huh? Probably financial, family, you name it. How could we enrich... Those of you who have the, the, the privilege of having uh, face-to-face, in-person education, how could we enrich that with the experience of people who cannot join and yeah. come here? So, so when, I, when I look at it, we, we, we now have the technology, and it doesn't matter in your Zoom call if you are with 20 people or with 100. Hmm. You know, really, it's almost the same level of interaction, more or less. Yeah. So why could we not expand this program so that we can actually have students uh, attending, you know, taking the program, who are simply not here? Hmm. So that would yeah. be one
0: way to, um, to look at it. If you don't mind me putting my input here, um, sure. I believe that to uh, it is only limit the interaction that we can have with a zoom screen. And while it would be interesting to have some voices, that has a, a, a decrease in... in, in how useful it can be after you have like 20 people on Zoom. Right? You don't really get to hear all the voices mm. and I'm specifically concerned with, for example, this has also been a question for many of us students, you might find this line of questioning a bit challenging but I'm sure you can handle it, but we wonder why Unumerit takes more harsh measures than the rest of the institutions in terms of restrictions, mm-hmm. for example, or even more harsh measures than the ones that the government here recommends mm-hmm. in terms of uh, yeah, online education or not, not uh, classes in person, for example.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we take harsher measures than the government allows us to do. Yeah. And for instance, now that we decided to move to online education, that was actually an opportunity that was offered by um the university, yeah, they said, if you think it's better online, you know, go online and if mm. not do it. So, so it was not that we said um, we're gonna do online but and, and the rest of the world doesn't do it. That's also not true. Yeah? Mm. This is not the only program that does things online.
0: But in Maastricht, most of them are mainly in person, right?
1: I'm not sure I don't know yeah? so but but I I, I I know people who study other programs who also have things online, and I don't know the proportion, so I, yeah. I admit that. Um, so so I don't think we, we're much harsher. We, we, of course, what we try to do with the program is we, we try to really balance what are the, the potential health effects of doing things online. Mm. Look, you, you, and I know that is difficult. Huh? I have um, my daughter also studies in another university in Belgium, and, and she, she is in the same situation as you are in. It is really, really terrible that sometimes you you have to close uh, online uh, on-site campus and you have to go online. Um, but we can't deny that we're in, in, in a difficult environment and, and that there, there are health risks. And, and so we have to balance the health risks for our tutors, who are also people of this institute, students who are of this institute, so we need to find a decent balance there. Hmm. Um, if I can say one 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 other thing about this, look, I, I think we we we're making the mistake that we try Zoom to replace or we uh, we expect from Zoom to make up for all the things we lose in the face-to-face interaction with each other. Um that's not possible. Zoom, Zoom is just you know a webcam and 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 you see each other and you can you can devise a lot of you know, ways to to have breakout rooms and and so on. I think there's a lot of... Oh, there's other technology that could complement Zoom, mm. where you, for instance, um, I don't know if you know Slack as a... Yes. ...a, as a software uh, where you can keep track of the discussions in different threads and interactions. Yeah. There is actually virtual meeting places that you can, you know, also... Yeah, we, we tried
0: the virtual space where you yeah. can walk. It's kind of entertaining.
1: Yeah, it's kind of entertaining. And yeah. the problem is that we don't have... Um, an approach that combines in a meaningful way all these different ways. Hmm. You know, why would we just focus on Zoom to replace what we have? Why don't we look for um, you know, a more mixed bag of options? And honestly, sometimes when you're with 100 students in the classroom, how beneficial is that for you? So is it the classroom experience that you're missing? I'm not, I'm not sure. Hmm. So what are you really missing?
0: Today? Well, that would be a, a good question for, for us to ask ourselves and, and see what we can. I know it's a challenging question, but I'm sure you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I can also handle it. Um, now, you mentioned uh, that maybe this online setting can bring us uh, uh, opportunities for equaling the field, let's say. Mm-hmm. Now, I, as a student ambassador, always get questions from people mainly. Mm-hmm. To see if there are scholarships, to see if there are opportunities. Um, it is also something that that I think is always a concern for mm-hmm. prospective students. But also I have this idea that, I mean, I saw this quite often in, in, in the European setting, that there is this culture that you need to do um, practices for free, for example. And I think that is a thing that... Uh, might be not very egalitarian when it comes to different students. I mean, this one can't do a practice for free because he has uh, money and this other, ha- the same talent, mm-hmm. needs to go to work on a bar, for example. How do you, would you think that these challenges should be addressed by the institution, like scholarships or in terms of helping people who work? What can else we do in order to level the field of education?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, that, that has, it's a much broader question than than, than just this institution, right? I mean, why? Um,
0: yeah, you cannot do anything about the management that doesn't want to pay students that go into yeah. internships. Yes. But is it fair?
1: Well, I, if you talk about Internships here, I think. Is, is that what you're, you're here asking? Or
0: honor programs that I see that are mm. for free and they are presented as, oh, we teach you how to do things. Yeah, but I'm doing,
1: mm. I w- I'm working. You also here need too. money. Yeah, no, yeah no, true. Um, well, last year at UNU Merit, we, we sort of um, received signals from students that um, they, 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 because the first lockdown at the time, that they couldn't do their jobs in the bars or or the Albert Heijn or whatever people yeah. do uh, to 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 make some money, and then we we offered twenty uh, student um, assistant positions or was it called internship positions, um, that that were paid according to UNU standards. So so that was you know our way to help students who are in financial trouble. Now but but I think your question is different, right? It's it's how to level this field, uh, level the field and um it, it's it's a very deep question on education in general huh? I mean again take into account that after all even uh, as, as as students as lecturers as professors as as directors, we're a very privileged group you know society pays a lot of money to you know allow us to study mm-hmm. right um the study costs you know whatever it is today, but that doesn't cover your costs at all you know it's it's government spends billions on, on education. So um, so the first question is is there, you know, how, how, how do you make people f- pay for that? So if, if your um, fundamental approach is that everybody who, should, who has the talent should be able to study, then of course your tuition fees are low and your res- you know, so, so you, 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 you have low fees uh, to, to study. That's the model in Europe. That's the model in Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany. You know, There's a bit of variation in the different countries. But, mm-hmm. but that does, of course, not change the fact that you can come from a family that has money and from a family that has no money or less money. Right, So there, you have a very um, important obstacle. And indeed, we try to solve that with uh, scholarships. So we have PhD fellowships, which are targeted towards people from the global south, you know, who typically have less financial means mm-hmm. to study. Um, do we do enough? Maybe not. And, and I'm very open to any suggestions that, that you may have or the students may have on that. Um, because it's, it's, you know, and, and it's also very difficult if you work with scholarships. How do you verify somebody's financial situation really? Yeah. Yeah. So, I know. Um,
0: I, I studied with a scholarship in Argentina and that was quite a thing. Uh, mm, some people lied. You of know? course. Yeah. Which is pretty unfair. Yeah, which yeah. is so, unfair um, uh, I don't want to dwell more on, on this topic because I have some other questions um,
1: sure. and we only have 10 minutes left
0: <laughs> <laughs> ok um, I was wondering for example what are the main skills that policy should develop if you could be like brief on this so I can ask mm. a couple of things for finishing this mm. talk. what would you say are the main things
1: uh, having having worked with, with different policymakers, I've worked with politicians uh, that are really, you know, from day to day have to make a lot of different decisions. Policymakers that are thinking long term. Um, I, I I think that the most important skill that I see missing these days is the skill to understand complex data. Mm. Mm. So we are in an era that more and more data are available, but also being used. And, and you know for whatever that may be and i see um, a real disconnect very often when 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 these people are you know confronted with the data or the results from the data so so that there's a challenge there you know another example is um, they have to start understanding exponential growth you know people seem not to understand um, the very uh, implications of uh, exponential growth like with the virus you know Exponential growth means like when, when you, uh, if, if you have um, you, you have heard these, these comparisons if, if you start with a raindrop in the middle of a big football field and every second the raindrop becomes two raindrops, four raindrops, eight raindrops and so on you know how fast is your football stadium full of water? Yeah. You know, people think it think, tend to think it's very long but it's actually a lot shorter. Or, um, you know, you have other examples. Maybe that's not even the best one. But we get the point. Yeah, you get the point. So <laughs> that, that is, is definitely a thing. Um, so if I would advise uh, any policymakers to try to understand at least, you know, what, what the implications are of the data that we have and the way that
0: we deal with it and, and the models that, that that are behind it. Amazing. But two, two final things. Now, okay. when we see uh, people like you that ke- made a very... Um, Amazing career and got to an important place. Sometimes we feel that the path was somehow straightforward or easy and (laughs) You know it it gets like perceived as such at least now maybe you want to share with us some experience of yours that at the moment of your life you might have perceived as a mistake of an error or an error that maybe you resignified afterwards and then you say, oh, this made me grow or learn this or learn that. I don't know if you have some of these.
1: <sighs> yeah, what, what is my favorite mistake? Um, <laughs> I, I think I think we, we also have a culture in academia that we don't talk a lot about the things we do, we do wrong or that <laughs> didn't work out. You know, I, had, uh, I, organized, I started a series of conferences um, 10, 15 years ago, where I always wanted one special session on here is how my research failed to produce what I had hoped for you know like failures you know you had hypotheses but it didn't work out. you had a paper that you thought was great and was rejected again and again and, and so so these kind of things. Um, no I, 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 I think um, specific mistakes is, is, is difficult. Um, I, I I have been very fortunate in in sort of know changing trajectory when I thought it was it was useful or necessary um, I had a permanent research contract when I was 26 or so and and then I thought alright this is a potential you know rest of my life I could be there and it was in a very nice environment um, so so um, but I decided to leave I, I gave up on my permanent job and I took on a very in, uh, non-permanent job as assistant professor in the states. It was like a ten-year track uh, at the time already, so uncertain if I would make it or if I would, you know, be kicked out after a few years. And and for a number of years I thought, oh my god, that was a mistake. Um, I was safe in, in that protected job, um, but then I started to realize um, it was the only way for me to, you know, start an itinerary and and see where it goes and. Maybe, you know, th- for me that was always important to, um, at some point, to try to let go of some of the certainty that y- you have built up, or you mm-hmm. get. Um, and and to, to explore and try new things, n- not knowing where it would lead. I would not have imagined 20 years ago that I would be sitting here talking to you in the position that I have today. Um, what Was it a straightforward trajectory? No. Uh, sometimes it was a bit of a detour. Um, sometimes you are at a standstill. I was for about 11 years, I think, at, at a previous university. I probably should have left earlier if I wanted to have uh, you know faster advance in my career because I was enjoying what I was doing, but there was no progress career-wise. So I, I maybe enjoyed it a bit too much. Yeah,
0: You're uh, a bit hard on yourself. It seems sorry? You're a bit hard on yourself, it seems. Because enjoying is fine, right? Yeah,
1: of course. No, no, that's true, <laughs> that's true. Maybe that sounded too hard. No, no, definitely. I enjoyed it a lot, but but sometimes that means that you don't pay attention to the criteria that influence your career. So I did a lot of field work, for instance, right? And I enjoyed going all over the world, um, but I forgot to write the papers about it, or I didn't write enough papers about it. And then at the end, they don't check your experience of field work, but they check the papers that you published, at least at that university. Yeah. So and, and that sort of yeah was not helping my career at the time, but I, as you said, I enjoyed it a lot and I didn't really care too much. But at some point it's enough, you know, you need to make a decision. So then I um, applied for another position and, and, and that was in Delft then and, and that is when I started to move again in my career. So. Looking back, you could say I stayed too long at that previous university. On the other hand, I also built up an enormous network, uh, enormous experience. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's always a trade-off. Yeah,
0: there's always a trade-off. Last one. Mm? If you had to time travel and mm? give an advice to young Bartel, <laughs> Bartel of the 20s, trying mm. to decide what career to choose, what would you say to yourself?
1: Um... <laughs> to my younger self, okay, in my twenties, um, yeah, I would, I would probably say um, it, it will all turn out fine, whatever you do, you know. If this, this, now happened to be the career and and the path that I took, and many moments I could have taken a different path, and I'm sure that somehow would have also worked out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not. You don't have to be so fixated about. Um, what you, what you think it will lead to. You know, the, the, the itinerary in itself is, is the experience. I mean, that sounds very zen or whatever it is, but, but you have to really enjoy, that's the word I used a minute ago, uh, what you're doing, build up your experience in what you're doing and remember that, you know, the next step that you take is, is, is again a new day. You know, it's, it's again open what it will come. The fact that we're talking here and I don't know what you will do with this podcast, but suppose somebody hears that and calls me and says, "Oh my God!" You know, so so every day is is a sort of a new start, um, yeah. and and that is that doesn't change when you're twenty or or, or uh, a bit older like I am today. So I would I would probably say to my twenty-year-old self, "Yeah, just go for it, and uh, you'll see where you end up." And, uh, don't don't worry.
0: Enjoy. Well, that, mm. that this has been a wonderful talk. I learned many interesting things about you. Okay. Uh, you're a uh, recent person, not an astrology person, clearly. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think as students will enjoy pretty much hearing your story. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you want to say? Um,
1: no, I think, um, I thanks for the conversation. Uh, I enjoy it and I'm definitely uh, yeah, hoping that students will also see that we're really working hard, you know, to make life also easier and better for them. It doesn't always go as well as we would like to, but, you know, we we try our goddamn best. It happens. We do the same. Thank Thank you you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Let's shake (laughs) hands (laughs) here.